0: we do at every time this week during, uh, after we sing and share the announcements, so I thought I would follow through on the routine. <laughs> I'm not going to surprise you. Wouldn't that be a surprise someday? So if I just came up and said, well, uh, gave the closing prayer and we could leave, you know, so I'm not going to do that. So <laughs> Not even when the Bears are playing on Sunday. I won't even do that, so <laughs> we're in a series called Encounters. The basic idea is this, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can encounter the God, encounter personally, the God who is really there. We've taken a look uh, at encountering God in prayer. We looked at how we can encounter even the very glory of God. We've talked about spiritual renewal in encountering God. And, and last week, we talked about encountering God as our Father this week, we're going to talk about encountering God as our provider. And if you have a Bible with you, some of the texts are going to be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. It's a part of the Bible, a first part of the Bible. Take a look at that. Uh, the major- you know, the majority of the people in the Bible encountered God when they were under extreme circumstances. Hopeless circumstances. So if you're here this morning and you are facing extreme hopeless circumstances, I want you to take hope because most of the people in the Bible had their deep encounters with God in, those, in the lowest, most difficult moments of their lives. So you're primed. If you're in an extreme situation, you're, you're primed. You're set up. If your heart will open up, to meet God in a new way. Now, there is no story in the whole Bible that I know of that is more extreme than the story of the woman that we're gonna take a look at this morning. A little bit of the background. The time is 850 BC. There's a great prophet in Israel named Elijah. Israel as a nation has rejected God. They have begun to worship the God of their queen, Her name is Jezebel. She's married to King Ahab. And Jezebel, she was from neighboring Phoenicia. Ahab had married not someone who knew about God. He he reached out and married someone from a nation where, well, their God was Baal. And so Jezebel, she began to lead the, the nation toward the worship of Baal. And it was pretty easy for her to do that. Because Baal, was, he was the god of rain. He was the god of the weather. And when you live in agricultural societies where your whole life depends upon what comes up out of the ground, well, Queen Jezebel was able to, to promote Baal as the god of rain, and she was able to promise the people of Israel uh, greater crops, fuller bins, and more food on their tables than they, they would have ever had before if they would just switch gods. And so that's what the people began to do. Well, God sent the prophet Elijah to challenge the god Baal head on by announcing that instead of Israel experiencing fuller plates and fuller tables than they've ever had, the god of Israel was going to declare a three-year drought. There would not be a drop of rain that would fall on the land of Israel to show that Baal is not God. There is one true God who is the provider and the creator and the sustainer of all humanity. And that is the God Yahweh, the God Jehovah. That's his name in the Old Testament. And then God did one further thing to make this point. As the rivers and the streams quickly began to dry up and the situation got desperate, Verses 8 and 9 of 1 Kings chapter 17 say that God, god sent Elijah into Phoenicia, uh, right into the center of Baal territory, Baal worship. He sent him to a small remote village named Zarephath, where, god, where God's prophet, his needs would be met, that entire three years of drought would be met not by the god Baal sending rain. But God had a different plan to meet his needs. And it all involved his, a destitute widow woman. Now, the least, the least unlikely person to be able to support Elijah during a drought and a famine would be a single-parent widow with a son to support during a drought. Her husband was dead. There was no longer a breadwinner in her house. There was no social security, there was no uh, local social services, there was no Medicaid. She had nothing to rely upon. She was a woman with crushing burdens to bear. And yet, that's the person that God sent Elijah to, to be supported and sustained for three years during a drought. Now we pick up the story in verse number 10, Elijah comes into the town. And he sees the widow gathering sticks, firewood. And so he calls to her, and he asks her that if she would get him a cup of water. Now, water was scarce, obviously, but she agreed to do that. And as she goes to get the cup of water, Elijah calls out something else. Verse 11, and also bring me a piece of bread, please. Now, that was going to be a little bit too much. And then she turns to him in verse number 12 and says, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour uh, in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. And the reason I'm out here gathering these sticks, I'm going home and bake our last meal, and then my son and I pretty much, we're going to starve to death. Now, she had perceived that Elijah was a prophet of Israel's God. But you know what she was probably thinking? She was probably thinking, what kind of a God is it who would take the last meal of a widow and her son, and give it to his prophet? I mean, wouldn't your God, if he was a good God, wouldn't Elijah have said, "Well, hey, you know, yeah, I know your circumstances. Don't worry about me. You just take care of your son first. Feed him first. Then feed yourself. And if there's anything left, then, then you know, I'll take some crumbs." Wouldn't that be more God-like? Well. The very opposite of that happens. In verse number 13, Elijah tells the woman, don't be afraid. What do you mean, Elijah? That's outrageous. (laughs) We're about to die here. And then Elijah, it gets even worse because Elijah says this, go home and cook the meal just as you've planned to do, but first make a small loaf of bread from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. So put yourself in this widow's place. That's total desperation. But you see, that place of total desperation is what we were talking about a moment ago. That's the place where people encounter God. And here's something really important for us to see. God was calling this widow to make her place of absolute desperation the place of absolute trust and obedience to God. That's a huge spiritual lesson for any and every one of us who are living in a tough world, to make the place of our deepest desperation, the place of our absolute trust and obedience to God. Verse number 14, the Lord made a promise to this desperate widow that required these two things, absolute trust in him and then an absolute follow-through of obedience. Here's the promise. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, you know, if, in other words, if you will give first to my prophet, feed him first, who represents me, then your jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. In other words, for three years. You're not down to your last meal. You've got three years' worth of meals just because you're given to my, to my prophet first. And in verse number 15, we have, I think, one of the most remarkable displays of raw, pure faith you can find anywhere in the Bible or anywhere in human history, for that matter. A destitute widow, a single parent, this is what it says. She went away, and she did as Elijah had told her, Now, her faith was real. And you know how we can always test and tell when faith is real? When obedience is the (laughs) follow-through. In other words, we can say we love this book and read it and just get all spiritual about it and weep over it and everything else. But when it comes down to it, the real test of whether we believe this or not is whether we're going to obey it and do it. Uh, And she did it. And verse 15 shows that God was good to his word, the result of her faith and obedience. This is what it is. So there was food every day of the next three years for Elijah and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Now let's pull this together a little bit and sort of see what, what is God teaching us today. Well, this woman gave first to the Lord and there were two results, two results that we see coming out of that. Number one, her giving supported the work of God and the word of God by enabling Elijah to continue his ministry during that, those years of drought to bring God's message to Israel to call Israel to come back to God. And if ever there was a time for if ever there was, there was an important time for a prophet to be doing his work, it was during this time when Israel was just following after another god. The second result, by her giving first to God, she and her sons' needs were met by the Lord during that entire drought. Now there are a lot of lessons we can take from this widow. I mean, there's a ton of sermons that could be preached from this. I mean, God will never fail. God's resources are inexhaustible. He's the God who can do impossible things when you're in an impossible situation. But the one we're going to look at this morning, very specifically, is that God is He wants to be our provider. It's in a very practical way. And so we're going to look at three things that we learn specifically from this widow over the next few minutes. Number one, first of all, everyone in this room takes seriously the responsibility to work hard to make a living and to make ends meet, to keep food on the table for yourself and your loved ones. Just like this woman, you are out there every single day gathering sticks <laughs> so that you can, you can build a fire and put food on the table. And everyone in this room I know is out there. Take it seriously. Take it with great responsibility. But here's what this woman's teaching us. That the most responsible thing you can do financially in providing for the needs of yourself and your family is to give to God first. Stated another way, The most important thing that you can do in making a living, in succeeding in your career, your job, is to make your first financial priority giving to the support of the spreading of God's word and God's work as part of the local church family where you are gathering, where you're part of the family, pooling the resources, giving to God first as a whole church family, in order to keep the ministry and work of God going in a very, very, very desperate world. In his first sermon, Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking to the people there who were struggling to make ends meet. They were struggling for food and clothing and shelter. But at the end of that sermon, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus laid down the foremost economic principle of life. And here it is. It's the same thing that we learned from the widow. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his goodness. That means seek to bring the kingdom of God to the earth and and to fill the earth with his goodness and grace and love and to represent God in this messed up world. Seek the kingdom of God first. And all of these things, the things he's been talking about, were food and clothing and shelter. All of these things will be supplied to you by my Father in heaven. And when Jesus talks about giving to God first, he's referring back to the centuries of teaching from the lips of prophets who gave us the word of God, the scriptures, all the way back to Abraham, the father of the people of Israel. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 2, says this. Abraham gave the first 10% of his income, his tithe, the tenth of his income, back to the Lord. He gave it to to the priest of God. His name was Melchizedek. So that the word and the work of God could be sustained in the earth and the kingdom of God could continue to expand. Romans chapter 4 verse 16 tells us that Abraham is the father of all who have faith in Jesus Christ the Savior. And the reason for that is that the promise that Jesus would come into the world as our Savior, it was first given to Abraham. He's the father of all. He's our spiritual father of all that have faith in Christ. The promise was first given to him. And not only that, Abraham also set the example way back about 1900 BC, about how the work of the gospel is to be supported and sustained and spread throughout the world. And it's by the giving of the tenth of all the people of faith who derive the benefits of knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, I want to throw this in. If you're here this morning and you're sort of searching out this whole God thing and Jesus thing, and you have not made any commitment to be a follower of Jesus Christ at this point. I'm praying that as you continue to search, you will come to a place where you're going to make that commitment to Christ uh, because it's the greatest thing in the world uh, and he can reveal himself to you. Uh, But if you haven't got there yet, then the the commitment we're talking about here this morning in terms of giving the 10th of our income to support the work of God, that's for those who made the commitment to serve Christ. That's for those who have gotten in, that's the, for those who have said, I am passionate about Christ. And the mission he gave us, the cause of Christ, to make him known in the world, out of that passion, we give our tithe, our 10%, we give it to God to sustain his work. And of course, obviously, if you're here today and you don't, you're not deriving any income, <laughs> then, uh, then, This doesn't apply either. Uh, That's understood, I guess, right? But if you're a Christian and you're making an income, you're a follower of Christ, then the story and lesson of this widow, it applies directly to you, and it applies directly to me. Now, the second thing we learned this morning is this from the widow. She teaches us not to be afraid to give, to give to God first. Elijah told her, uh, don't be afraid. You see, her biggest obstacle was that she would be completely depleted. She wouldn't be able to feed herself and her son if she gave to God. She didn't think she could do both. It's either i got to choose between God or i got to choose between my family. And that was a, that's a hard p- place for any person to be put, right? But she read their situation completely wrong. And, but this is the same obstacle that many of the people of God have today when it comes to giving the tenth of their income to the Lord. I won't be able to pay my bills. I won't have enough money to live on. Uh, I don't even know how my budget works as it is. (laughs) But you know what? The very opposite is true. But you know what? We might say that doesn't sound like very good mathematics to me. Well, what this woman called to, what the Lord called this woman to do, would not work mathematically, unless the author of mathematics was involved. And so, all that God was doing with this woman was He was bringing her back to the math we read about in Genesis one one. In the beginning, God created. How did God create in the beginning? Out of his inexhaustible supply, out of his inexhaustible resource. It's all, he's, all he's doing here is, is telling her, you know what, widow woman, I'm still the creator, and I am the author of mathematics. Now, God believes in the math of balancing budgets and financial planning and career planning, and God calls us to that. That's part of our financial responsibility. And we get the idea that this woman was doing all she could in a practical way from her side, from a mathematical point. She was doing everything she could to conserve her needs, her resources. She was out there gathering her sticks. She, was doing, she, she had conserved. She, had, she was down to a little bit of oil, a little bit of... But it sounds like she'd been parsing that out. She was responsible. But God was just teaching her that there's another dimension of financial planning that he has for those who trust him and obey him. And it is his ability as the creator from his infinite creative ability, it's his ability to multiply. Jesus, just to underscore this, Jesus did it two times for us in the Gospels, right? He fed 5,000 people plus the women and the children, maybe 15,000 people. He did it out of a little boy's lunch of a few fish and a few pieces of bread. He's the creator. He multiplied it. And there was a, several baskets left over. He did it again with 4,000. He's the creator. He's the author of mathematics. That's what he's teaching the woman here. And that's what he's teaching us. In, now, here's the third thing the widow, the widow teaches us. And this is really important. The redemption of people's lives depends upon our giving to God. This ultimately comes down to compassion for others who are outside of our own needs. Compassion for people. God was calling her to be the support for his prophet to keep bringing the message of the Lord to Israel. There was not only a physical drought going on in Israel, but even more, there was a huge spiritual drought going on. And that's like our world. The people needed to turn back to God, so Elijah needed to keep on preaching and teaching and doing the work of God during those three years. Now, here's the truth that brings it home to my heart. Jesus died on the cross to redeem all humanity. Why? Because as we say around here all the time, the most obscure human being on this planet, the most destitute human being on this planet, I don't care where they are today, the most unknown is of infinite value to the heart of God. So much so that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He sent him to the cross to pay the price of our redemption. The redeeming of our lives to be healthier here and to be healed and saved, and, but for all of eternity too. Jesus died to give spiritual bread and physical bread to a starving world of people that he loves your neighbors, the people you work with, as well as the people on the other, in part, other nations of the world. And he's called us to love people just like he does. And the giving of our 10% extends what Jesus did on the cross. If we do not give our 10 percent, we hold back, we confine, we limit, we restrict the message of the cross rather than extend the message of the cross. Let me say it just really plainly like this. Our giving adds to the number of people who will be redeemed adds to the number of people that will be redeemed and will someday be in heaven. Our giving is strategic to that, folks. Our not, if we do not give, then that is going to subtract from the number of peoples that are going to hear the gospel and receive the gospel and whose lives are going to be redeemed both here and for eternity. So this is huge, huge commitment that God has asked us. But you know what? That doesn't surprise me that a God who so loves the world and who's called a group and has redeemed a group of people out of that love and then he turns around and asks us to share in his love, it doesn't surprise me a bit that he would say, hey guys, I know you're going to work hard but I'm going to ask you to take 10% of what you earn and I'm going to ask you to invest it in the kingdom of God, invest it in the redemption of people's lives. It doesn't surprise me that we serve a God like that. It does come down to love. Now, I want you to... It, here's another way. I was thinking about this. How do we illustrate that? Well, Jesus in Matthew six nineteen, that same Sermon on the Mount, he said, don't lay up treasures on the earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where ro- a moth, uh, rust and moss, they, they can't get in there and corrupt it. They can't destroy it. Uh, he isn't against savings accounts and retirement planning. That's not what that's about. But... He, but he is saying this, in all of our financial doing, and doing, do this first, give 10% to God. Invest in the kingdom, why? Because what, what are those treasures that can't be destroyed? Well, we know they're not material, what are they? They're people, they're redeemed people. That, those are the treasures that will fill heaven and you and I, by our giving, are gonna add to the number. Uh, think about this, maybe the way we can get our minds around this. Uh, how many of you have played the game Monopoly before? Okay, uh, most everybody. Uh, okay, there. Uh, yeah, there we go. Okay, good. Want to make sure that was back there. <laughs> uh, now I know board games aren't quite a. Is there a? I'm sure there's a computer game sh- uh, of Monopoly too, right? Okay. Anyway, well that's that's a different story. But I'll research that later. Uh, here's the thing about a Monopoly is uh, you know the goal is you move around the board, buying up all the property. You collect rent from the people who land on your property, and then your goal is to keep... First, you add a house, and then you add another house. You can add up to four houses, and then once you get four houses, you go to a hotel, right? The houses are green, the hotels are red. Okay, now, uh, but have you ever noticed in playing the game Monopoly, it just struck me the other day, that with all the property and the houses and the hotels on the board, and there's even a jail, I mean, all the institutions of society are represented... (laughs) Uh, there's no church on the board anywhere. You ever notice that? It just struck me the other day, and I've played that game many times. You'd think a pastor might notice that. So <laughs> There's no church there. Uh, and, uh, I mean, all these neighborhoods, you know, uh, Baltic and Mediterranean and Ventnor and Oriental, and then you swing around to Virginia, and uh, then you uh, States Avenue, and then you go on down to... Uh, The uh, sort of the tan ones, Tennessee and St. James, and then you swing around to Illinois and over to Marvin's Gardens and up around to Pennsylvania Avenue, the green ones, and then you hit uh, the the gold mine, (laughs) Uh, Park Place and Boardwalk. Okay, those are the big, if you got those, you're gonna probably win. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm digressing, okay? Just a second, I'll bring this back, okay? Uh, Now, okay, there's no church. Now, I'm not messing with the game okay, I know Parker Brothers, they weren't intentionally, you know, anti-God and leaving God out, it's just a game about capitalism and enterprise, okay, (laughs) but for my purposes, uh, would you just imagine with me for a moment, imagine if there was a version of the game based on what we have learned about giving from this widow and from Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, how would that work in the game, well, I think it would go something like this, In addition to houses and hotels, we would be all about wanting to build churches too so that the good news would flow around all the neighborhoods on the board. And how would those churches get built? How? Well, I'll tell you how. Every time you pass go and get the $200, 20 of it would be set aside, would be given, to invest in building a church, and you'd want to probably the goal would be to build a church on every one of those every one of those um, uh, neighborhoods all around the board. You'd want a church there, right? Uh, so the gospel, the word of God, is going forth. Now, in addition, whenever someone would land on one of your properties, whether you owned Park Place and Boardwalk, incidentally. Uh, with no house, if you own Boardwalk and there's there's no houses on it, it's 50 bucks every time someone lands there. Okay, it shoots up to uh, 200 uh, with one house, and then if you put a hotel in there, it's 2,000 dollars. Okay, uh, if you own Baltic and Mediterranean, opposite extreme, um, four dollars. You land on that, no problem, and even with a hotel, it's only 450. But where, whatever properties you owned and whatever income you were receiving, the, the 2000 or the four fifty, you would just take 10% of it and invest it in building churches on Atlantic Avenue and Pennsylvania Avenue, and, and you'd probably want to start a jail ministry down there in that one corner of the board. <laughs> so uh, that's how the game would go. Uh, now, here, but here's the thing. What if, in this new version of the game, God's people didn't give first to God? Then what would the result be? Well, the church church would be absent from the board. And we can't have that. So what is the lesson this widow woman is teaching us today when you boil it right down? Every time you go around go, every time you get your paycheck, take 10% of it. And give it to God that 's the lesson, and God promises that you're not going to get driven out of the game, <laughs> okay in fact, he 's going to meet your needs. Uh, now, some people say, "Well, do I base that ten percent on the gross or the net? Well, I would say probably on the net it's what you it's your earnings, it's what you take home with you. Um, so I'm begin to wrap it up here this morning, but If Elijah were here today, you know, Elijah was one of those boldest of all the prophets, and he would never back down from a challenge. Well, he did back down from one for a little while. (laughs) That's a different sermon, but with the exception of that one, he didn't. Uh, He would speak straight. Here's what the word of God says, and call the people to obey it. And Elijah was also one of those that would do live demonstrations to get a point across from time to time. And that's a different sermon, too, because he had that, you know, you can read about in the next chapter, First Kings 18, where he was on Mount Carmel, and he was there with 450 prophets of Baal. And there was a, this was the big showdown. Uh, and they built an altar, and that's, you know, they were supposed to pray and call down and make Baal uh, come down and, and consume this altar. Well, they prayed and prayed and prayed, nothing happened. Then God prayed to the, then Elijah prays to God, and God just comes down and consumes that. Anyway, that's a different sermon. Here's the point I'm making. It was a live demonstration. Now, here's a visual way this morning for us to to get another grasp on on a deeply unsettling spiritual condition in the church in the United States. Uh, And so what I would, I need about 20 people, if you would be bold enough, about 20 people to stand up. Uh, maybe about the first four rows over here, probably 20 people. Would you guys just stand up for just a second? Okay, that's close to 20 people, I would say. Now, just stay there for one second. Recent stats show us, uh, surveying uh, Christians and churches across the United States, that about 20% of Christians are giving 10% to the Lord. Um, Okay, you can be seated. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> now, here's, I think you would agree with me that that means the gospel is being held back significantly in, the, in America at precisely the time in our history when the gospel most needs to be extended into this nation, in this country. Not speaking, not, not even addressing the needs of the world. Um, bringing this home to myself and to all of us who are followers banded together here for the mission of Christ here at Calvary Church. I think the message is this, that uh, many, many are giving at Calvary. Um, but I want to challenge the many who are not, who have not stepped up to this challenge and are giving 10%. Every time you go around, go. 10% to the Lord for the building of his church. God has blessed Calvary Church, and there's a lot, of, there's a lot that God is doing through this church out of your giving. Um, in our children, our youth, adults, and young adults, and missions trips, and feeding the hungry, and paying utility bills in town. This past week, we had one family, a man who's been near death in a hospital. He was, uh, he can't work for a few weeks out of benevolence, Benevolence giving comes from your giving. We were able to help that person pay a portion of their, uh, their rent. And that's one instance of many, many kinds of things that go on around here. Uh, it, it, it's, the needs are tremendous. The need, we, we help subsidize people's counseling. I'm a big believer in sending people to counseling. Um, working with our... It, it, you, you, I don't have to explain all this stuff. I think you understand that it takes, it takes funding to make a church work. It makes funding. It takes funding to extend the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. That's the only way it works. The sole, the sole supporter of Elijah during that drought was this woman. The sole supporter of what God does through this church is you and me. We don't go out and do big fundraisers. We don't want to put our energy into going out and holding big, big fundraisers because then we're taking the energy we should be using to reach out and minister to people and turning it in. We don't do that. We we the church depends upon the giving of its of its people. Now, so here's here's the the action step this morning. Um, if you have not begun to tithe, the, tithe is the old fashioned word for ten percent. Okay, whenever you hear that word, I'm going to I'm going to challenge you this morning to trust God in the extremes. Take the step of faith and obedience that this woman took. It was hard for her to take, believe me. It's going to be hard for you to take too. Sort of scary. But do we believe God or do we not believe God? Here. Uh, See what God does. Will he keep his promise? I believe God will keep his promise. And the result will be that not only will God's kingdom continue to move forward greater than ever before, but so will you. So will you. It's the best deal going. Your flour and your oil, they won't run dry if you give to God first. Now, if you're here this morning and you are just seeking out Christianity, well, what you've heard this morning is an explanation of one of the commitments that we make when we become a follower of Christ. So if you're considering becoming a follower of Christ, this would be one of the things that you would be wanting to consider today. But the cause is worth it. It's worth it. Um, and the final word to, the, to, to us as Christians this morning is this. Just every time you pass, go. Uh, give, your, <laughs> give your 10% to God. Every time you pass, go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful this morning for your word, your truth. And Lord, you get right down into the practical realities of our lives. Lord, you know the extremes of every person in this room in all areas of our life, not just the financial area, Lord, but you know the stresses and the, you know the, the sorrows, you know the losses, you understand all these extremes. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to learn from this widow that to make the place of our desperation, to turn that into the place of our trust and our obedience. And, Father, uh, I pray this morning as there are those here who are just thinking right now, Lord, about this challenge of a new challenge in their financial view of life to give to you first lord i pray that you'll give them the confidence and the encouragement to take this step and uh, and lord that we can all rejoice together in the in the in the extending of the gospel into the lives of many 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 other people for the glory of christ and when we stand in your presence someday lord we i believe will say every cent i gave invested in the in the gospel, to spread it to people. Every cent I gave, more than worth it when we see people standing there. So, Father, help us to live with, the, the, with that same value system that you were speaking about, Lord, when you talked about laying up treasures in heaven. And uh, so, Father, uh, guide us and bless us. Continue to use us. Lord, thank you for every person who is part of Calvary Church. And, and Lord, just uh, be with each one in the struggle to make ends meet. And, Lord, we're going to give you praise, and we're going to give you thanks for these things. In the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. 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 Well-